Section 36 of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Modern Magic, a practical treatise on the art of conjuring by Professor Lewis Hoffman. Miscellaneous Tricks, Part 3. The Bran and Orange Trick. This trick is performed with a single coffer, in appearance very similar to those used in the last trick, but slightly different in construction. The false top is, in this case, bottomed with plain tin. The bottom of the coffer is movable, being soldered to a circular rim or shoulder of tin about a quarter of an inch in depth, over which the coffer fits pretty tightly, though the projecting edge of the bottom enables the performer to remove it without difficulty. The performer must also be provided with an ordinary oblong wooden box. Its precise dimensions are unimportant, save that it should be a good deal larger than the coffer, but about an inch or so less in height. This box is filled with bran, as also is the false top of the coffer. A couple of oranges, as much alike as possible, must also be provided. One only of these is produced to the audience, the other being beforehand placed on the servant of the table. The performer begins by placing upon the table the coffer and the box of bran. Removing the lid, with the false top, he brings forward the coffer and shows that it is perfectly empty. In returning to his table, he loosens, though without removing, the movable bottom and replaces the coffer on the table. He next brings forward the box of bran, showing that there is no preparation about it, and in replacing it on the table, places it in front of the coffer, which, however, being the taller, remains visible behind it. He next introduces the orange, either palming it, from one of his pochettes, and magically producing it from some person's nose or whiskers, or by the more prosaic method of having it brought in by his assistant. He now returns to his table, and, standing behind it, proceeds to fill the coffer with bran. This he does by placing the coffer upright in the box, holding it with one hand, and ostentatiously pouring in bran with the other until it is full. In placing the coffer in the box, however, he takes it up quite without the bottom, so that he is, in reality, only filling an open tube. Meanwhile, he secretly picks up, with his disengaged hand, the second orange from the servant, and places it upon the bottom, which remains behind the box. Having filled the coffer, and remarking, pray observe that it is quite full, he, before removing it from the box, covers it with the lid, and then lifting it out, again places it behind the box, in such a manner as to go neatly over the bottom, and the orange upon it. Of course, in the act of lifting the coffer, all the contents run back again into the box. Having now got the second orange within the coffer, and having, by a gentle pressure, again settled the bottom in its place, the performer places the coffer on a second table or a chair close in front of the audience. He then says, I am about to order the bran with which this coffer is filled, here he raises the lid without the false top, and the coffer therefore appears full of bran, to pass back again into the box from which it was taken, and this orange, here he passes behind his table, and holding up the orange, 
replaces it six or eight inches from the hinder edge, to pass into the coffer in place of it. Now first for the bran. One, two, three, pass. Did you see it fly from the coffer into the box? You didn't? Well, at any rate, you shall see the orange pass. I take it up so. Here he places his two hands round it, and rolls it on to the servant in manner described at page 294, coming forward with the hands together, as though still containing it, and holding them over the coffer at a few inches distance, and squeeze it smaller and smaller in this manner, until it becomes small enough to pass right into the coffer, as you see. Here he separates his hands, showing them empty, and immediately taking off the cover with the false top, rolls out the orange, and shows that the coffer is otherwise empty. The trick as above described is susceptible of a good many variations. If the performer uses a trap table, the orange may be made to pass through a trap instead of being rolled off at the back of the table, though the latter method, if neatly executed, can hardly be surpassed in elusive effect. A more substantial improvement may be made by causing the bran, instead of simply disappearing as above mentioned, to reappear in some other quarter. There are many pieces of apparatus which may be used for this purpose, perhaps as good as any being the improved sweet bag, see page 248. This should be previously filled with bran and hooked to the back of the table. The performer in this case borrows a handkerchief, which he carelessly spreads on the table, and a gentleman's hat, which he places mouth upwards beside it. Instead of announcing that the bran will return from the coffer to the box from whence it was taken, he states that it will, at command, pass into the handkerchief which he holds, and which as he speaks he picks up, with the bag beneath it, holding it without apparent intention just above the hat. At the word, pass, he slightly turns his wrist, thereby releasing the flap of the bag, and a shower of bran is instantly seen to pour down into the hat. This little addition greatly enhances the effect of the trick. THE RICE AND ORANGE TRICK In this feat, rice and an orange are made to change places, but by wholly different means from those last above described. The apparatus in this case consists of three japanned tin cones, about ten inches in height by five at the base, and each having a brass knob at the top, and an ornamental vase of tin or zinc, standing about the same height as the cones, and having a simple metal cover or top. Of the cones, all of which are open at the bottom, two are hollow throughout, but the third has a flap or movable partition halfway down, enclosing the upper half of the internal space. This flap works on a hinge, and is kept shut by a little catch, which is withdrawn by pressure on a little button outside the cone, when the flap drops down, and lets fall whatever has been placed in the enclosed space. See figure 164. The cone is prepared for the trick by filling this space with rice and closing the flap, and the three cones are then placed in a row on the performer's table, the prepared cone being in the middle. The vase, see figure 165, is constructed as follows. Its depth inside is less by about an inch than its depth outside, leaving therefore between its true and false bottoms an empty space, A. 
a circular hole is cut in the inner or false bottom but this hole in the normal condition of the vase is kept closed by a circular disc of metal b exactly fitting it this disc is soldered upon an upright wire rod passing through the foot of the apparatus and terminating in another disc c somewhat smaller in size round this rod is a spiral spring whose action tends to press it down and thereby to keep the disc or valve normally closed though it rises and thereby opens the valve as shown by the dotted lines in the figure whenever upward pressure is applied to c the face of the upper disc b is slightly concave corresponding with the rest of the interior of the vase the vase is prepared for the trick by placing an orange in it and in this condition it is brought forward and placed on the table by the performer or his assistant a small paper bag full of rice is brought in at the same time and completes the preparations with this introduction we proceed to describe the trick as worked by herman the performer begins by borrowing two hats and places them one on the other the mouths together on a chair or table he then by palming produces an orange from the hair or whiskers of a spectator and places this on another table he next brings forward and exhibits the vase filling it as he advances with rice from the paper bag and thus concealing the orange which is already placed therein he calls attention to the genuineness of the rice and the simplicity of the cover and finally putting on the latter places the vase on the ground or elsewhere in view of the audience he pretends a momentary hesitation as to where to place it and in the slight interval during which he is making up his mind he presses up the button within the foot this opens the valve allowing the rice to escape into the space a and leaving the orange again uncovered the audience is of course unaware that such a change has taken place leaving the vase for the moment he requests the audience to choose one or other of the three cones on the table the choice almost always falls on the middle one which it will be remembered contains the concealed rice this he places on the top of the upper hat he next asks the audience to select one or other of the remaining cones and places this over the orange upon the table showing by rattling his wand within it that it is hollow throughout and if desired handing round the remaining one for inspection at this point we hasten to anticipate an objection which will probably occur to the reader we have said that the audience when called upon to choose one of the three cones almost always select the middle one and we have proceeded on the assumption that they do so but suppose says the acute reader that they don't choose the middle one but select one of the end ones the trick is spoiled as neither of the others will produce the rice by no means o oh acute reader if we had requested the audience to choose which of the cones should be placed upon the hat there might have been a little difficulty no doubt but we did nothing of the kind we merely asked them to choose one of the cones if their first choice falls on one of the end ones we hand it round for examination and finally place it over the orange then standing behind the table we ask the audience to make their choice between the two remaining cones right or left whichever is chosen we are safe 
for as we have already had occasion to explain in connection with the trick of the half-crown in the orange see page one seventy one the right of the audience is our left and vice versa so that by taking their reply in the sense which suits our purpose we are certain to be right we therefore in any case take the cone containing the rice as being the one designated and place this on the hat sending round the other for inspection as the audience have to all appearance been allowed perfect freedom of choice and have actually examined two out of the three cones they are very unlikely to suspect any preparation about the remaining one the trick is now all but complete once more the performer raises the cone placed on the hat to show that there is nothing underneath it and as he replaces it presses the button thereby letting the flap fall and the rice pour out upon the hat though it remains still concealed by the cone he next lifts up the cone under which is the orange and holding the latter up replaces it but in again covering it with the cone makes a feint of removing and slipping it into his pocket then noticing or pretending to notice a murmur on the part of the company he says oh you think i took away the orange but i assure you i did not the company being still incredulous he again lifts the cone and shows the orange here it is you see but as you are so suspicious i won't use the cover at all but leave the orange here in full view on the table he again places the orange on the table but this time on what is called a wrist trap leaving it for the moment he advances to the vase and holding his hands together cup fashion over it but without touching it he says i take out the rice so and pass it under this cover walking towards the cone on the hat and making a motion of passing something into it let us see whether it has passed he raises the cover and the rice is seen perhaps you think as you did not see it that i did not actually pass the rice from the vase to the cover at any rate you will not be able to say the same about the orange i take it up before your eyes so he places his hands round it on the table and at the same moment presses the lever of the trap which opens and lets it fall through the table closing again instantly keeping his hands together as though containing the orange he advances to the vase and holding his hands over it says here is the orange which has not left your sight even for a single moment i gently press it so bringing the hands closer and closer together and make it smaller and smaller till it is reduced to an invisible powder in which state it passes into the vase he separates his hands and shows them empty and then opening the vase rolls out the orange and shows the vase empty all the rice having disappeared the mechanism of the wrist trap will be explained in the next chapter if the performer does not possess a trap table he can cause the orange to disappear in the manner referred to at page three thirty seven the magic whistle the student will not have proceeded far in his magical experience before he meets with an often recurring nuisance in the person of some individual old or young who knows or pretends to know the secret of all his tricks and whose greatest delight it is by some mal apropos question or suggestion to cause the performer embarrassment the magic whistle is especially designed to punish 
and if possible to silence an individual of this kind it is of turned boxwood and of the shape shown in figure 166 and yields a shrill and piercing note the performer bringing it forward and blowing through it announces that this little whistle so simple in appearance has the singular faculty of obeying his will and of sounding or not sounding at his command alone the loquacious gentleman is pretty sure to question the fact or is on some pretense selected to make trial of its truth the performer places him directly facing the audience and after himself once more sounding the whistle hands it to him in order to try his skill he blows vigorously but in vain not a sound can he produce but his mouth and lips gradually become obscured with a white or black dust he finally retires to his seat amid the laughter of the audience and generally much less disposed to make himself prominent during the remainder of the evening the secret lies in the fact that there are two whistles one is a perfectly ordinary instrument but the other though similar in appearance does not sound but is perforated round the inner side of the head see the figure with a number of small holes the head unscrews and is beforehand filled with finely powdered chalk or charcoal which when the whistle is blown is forced through the holes and settles round the mouth of the victim with the present knowledge of the reader the necessary exchange of the two whistles will not be regarded as offering any difficulty there is a larger appliance for the same purpose in the shape of a flagellet another apparatus of like effect though differing a little in detail is called the magic mill this is a little mill of the form shown in figure 167 and five or six inches in height it is made of zinc or tin and consists of two portions the upper part a and the base b see figure 168 the former sliding over the latter as shown by the dotted lines in figure 167 and fitting easily upon it a is hollow throughout lowercase a and b b are hollow tubes open at each end a third little tube lowercase c springing at right angles from lowercase a the base big b is a hollow chamber closed on all sides save at the openings lowercase d and e e this chamber is beforehand fitted with powdered chalk or charcoal after which a is placed in position over it if under these circumstances any person blows smartly through the tube lowercase a the effect will vary according to the position of uppercase B within uppercase A. If B be so turned that the three holes, D and E, E, correspond with tubes A and B, B, the breath entering A, D will force out the contents of uppercase B through the tubes B, B, and powder the lips of the person blowing, as in the case of the magic whistle. But if, on the contrary, uppercase b be turned ever so little to the right or left the three openings in b no longer corresponding with the tubes the latter will be closed and the breath having no other outlet will be forced upwards through the upright tube c thereby setting the little vein of f in rapid motion the latter is the condition in which the apparatus is brought forward by the performer blowing through a he sets the mill in motion and invites others to do likewise 
in which of course they succeed without difficulty but when the turn of the intended victim arrives the performer gives a a slight twist around in such manner as to bring the openings of b in correspondence with the three tubes with the result already explained we have omitted to mention that there is on the under surface of uppercase b a little raised point corresponding in position with the opening lowercase d so that the performer is able to tell instantly by feel whether b is or is not in the required position as a matter of convenience we shall before proceeding further with the explanation of individual tricks describe two or three pieces of apparatus of general utility to one or other of which we shall have frequent occasion to subsequently refer the drawer box this is a piece of apparatus of very frequent use in the magic art in appearance it is an ordinary drawer with an outer box or case of walnut or mahogany see figure 169 and is made of various dimensions according to the size of the articles with which it is intended to be used and which may range from a pack of cards to a live rabbit its use is to produce or to cause the disappearance of a given article the drawer having the faculty of appearing full or empty at pleasure the first step towards the comprehension of the apparatus will be to completely take out the drawer which however even when removed does not at first sight indicate any specialty on a closer examination it will be found that the drawer is in reality double see figure 170 consisting of two parts a and b the latter sliding backwards and forwards freely within the former which is in fact a mere case or shell open at one end if any object suppose an orange be placed in b and a and b together be placed in the outer case it is obvious that upon drying out a b will come with it and the orange will be seen but if b be held back a will be drawn out alone and the apparatus will be apparently empty for the means of retaining a at pleasure it will be necessary to examine the outer case which will be found to have a groove or mortise cut in its under surface see figure 171 along which lies a spring or tongue of wood fixed by a screw at one end the other or free end being provided with a catch or stud c which upon pressure is forced through an opening in the bottom of the outer case and made to sink into a little hole or notch in the bottom of b being again withdrawn by the action of the spring as soon as the pressure is removed the bottom of the outer case is covered with velvet ostensibly as a finish but really to conceal the wooden tongue when it is desired to draw out a without b the apparatus is held as shown in figure 171 and a gentle pressure applied by the finger through the velvet upon the free end of the wooden tongue thus forcing the catch upwards and keeping b back if a be drawn out without this pressure b will come with it the upper edge of a is turned over all round so that a casual observer is not likely to detect any difference in the thickness of the sides of the drawer whether it is drawn out with or without its inner casing some drawer boxes have a different arrangement for holding back the inner drawer consisting of a little wire bolt lying loosely in a cylindrical cavity in the hinder end of b 
corresponding with a similar cavity in the side of the outer case. As long as the drawer box is kept in its normal position, this pin offers no obstacle to the withdrawal of B with A. But if the box be turned over on the side in which is the bolt, the latter drops partially into the hole in the outer case, thus bolting B to it, until, by again turning over the apparatus, the bolt is made to drop back again into its original position. The arrangement is rather difficult to explain in writing, but will become quite clear upon an examination of figures 172 and 173, both representing a section of the hinder end of the drawer box, the one on its upright and the one on its turned-over position. The necessary turning over of the box is plausibly accounted for by the performer's desire that the audience shall, for greater fairness, have a full view of the top of the apparatus. There is an ingenious addition sometimes found in drawer boxes of French make, whereby B may be at pleasure bolted to A, and the two may thus be handed for examination, with little chance of their secret being detected. The bolting and unbolting is effected by a slight movement up or down of the knob in front, thereby raising or depressing a kind of hook of bent tin, working in the thickness of the front of A. Figure 174 shows this hook in its raised or unhooked, and figure 175 in its depressed or hooked condition. The drawer box, as above described, is available to produce or disappear, but not to change articles. With a slight modification, however, it may be made available for changing also. The inner drawer B is in this case made only half the depth of A, or even less, and thus, when closed, there is left between the bottom of B and that of A a considerable space, so that A and B may in this case each be made to hold a given object, and an apparent transformation be effected. Thus, for instance, B may be filled with bran, and any small article, such as a borrowed pocket handkerchief, be placed in A. The drawer is first pulled out with B, and shown filled to the brim with bran. But on being closed and again reopened, without B, the bran is apparently transformed into the handkerchief. End of section 36